The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Yo, what's going on, Busted Open Nation, and welcome to another edition of the Busted Open Podcast. Today, it is the return of the fat and the furious with myself, Bully Ray, and the innovator of violence, Tommy Dreamer. Happy birthday to The Undertaker, uh, the dead man celebrating another year of life. Uh, what was your favorite Undertaker match of all time? I'll tell you mine. Tommy will tell you his. All that, so much more, plus the Busted Open Nation, the Fat and the Furious, right here on the Busted Open Podcast. I'm sure me and you have, uh, we could sit here for three hours and tell Undertaker stories to the nation, uh, both stories that we've heard throughout the years and personal stories. But what I'd love to get into with the nation today, Tommy, is their favorite Undertaker match of all time. Now, I know his, uh, his you know, career spans, what is it, 25 or, you know, years more than that. Love to know what the nation thinks about their favorite match of The Undertaker in his career. This just doesn't have to be WrestleMania. I know it is WrestleMania season, but whatever your favorite match is, uh, 877-344-4893, 877-344-4893. As always, the phones are jam-packed. When you call in, you get to talk to Ariel. So be nice, be sweet, get her over. You know, maybe she'll put you on the air because she's the boss today. Um, Tommy, right off the bat, when I mentioned the dead man, when I went mentioned Undertaker, what's like the first thing that comes to mind for you when you think about the man or the performer? Not necessarily his greatest match, but... First thing that pops into your mind, word association. Leader. Um, when I think of The Undertaker, I think of, I like you said, I, I have a lot of personal moments with him. Um, I know you do too. We we both shared the ring with him, you on a, on a much bigger scale, but there's moments. And Is that a weight joke? No. I didn't even think a of that bigger scale? One. You just zinged yourself. <laughs> Uh, I, I'll never forget we were in Houston, Texas, and he had a three-segment match with Kurt Angle. And whether he had food poisoning or the flu, and he was in bad shape. I mean, curled up in a ball in the one little room. And, you know, Taker would never go out of his way not to dress with the boys. It's not how it is today where guys would get, you know, assigned their own locker rooms. He was always with the, the crew. And he was just in this little like office because he was so sick and I mean, bad and slowly throughout the day, like everyone's talking, you have a three segment match main event on SmackDown with Kurt Angle. And is he going to make it, you know, are they going to have to change TVs? And he was just done light off. And, and as the show started getting closer and closer, he had two IVs in his arms 
one on each side, like filling him up with fluids to try to flush whatever he had. And he was slowly getting dressed. And we both wrestled sick, but he was really sick and, and you know, just not himself. And, and it's almost like, you know, you see his entrance and the behind the scenes of wrestling, especially when it's, it's frantic when you're going live. And if you've ever been on a movie set or, or been backstage, it's this, when it's about time to go, it's nuts. It's, it's like this insane craziness before the storm. And I see him like it, it, the doctor literally like pulls one out, pulls the other one out. They put his jacket on him and you hear the first gong and like you have the production assistants and everyone's like, uh, is he going to go? Is he going to go? And he just put like grabbed his hat and just walked out the locker room and went on and, and had an amazing television performance. But things like that are what makes you a leader. Things like that make you a captain and uh, of a locker room and a captain of a team. And that was just one of those many, many, undertaker moments that i would never forget and i was just like wow this guy loves this business as much as all of us and to go out there and work at that level as sick as he was it was uh, very very commendable you mentioned the first gong of taker's music playing isn't it amazing what the first note of your entrance music can do to you if you're not feeling well or if you're just having one of those days and it's a struggle to lace up your boots it's a struggle to get into your gear it's a struggle to get that mat straight in your head everything is a struggle and then all of a sudden boom that first note of your entrance music hits and it all miraculously goes away i'm sure you've had many moments uh man in the box is playing on repeat in your head 24 hours a day seven days a week so like have do you have a, a story like that where you were really sick and that entrance music just carried you through or one that you can remember hurt um is different to date myself if you ever remember watching happy days where Mr. Cunningham's back was out and uh, Mrs. C asked to have a little extracurricular activity in the bedroom and Mr. C's back was hurt. And then all of a sudden he like, he hulked up and he was like ran upstairs because his back was, you know, because he had the promise of a little uh, sexy time with Mrs. C. That was a lot of my uh, one point in my career in ECW and a lot of wrestlers told me, but I don't, re- I don't want to say I don't remember it, but there was times I could not walk. There were, I had drop foot and I would just lay on the floor. You were in uh, WWE making millions, you Mark. And I would lay on the floor and my music would hit and the boys would like pick me up off the ground and literally like give me a push through that curtain. And as soon as you'd walk out, like I'd walk out tough as can be because adrenaline and your music's playing, but it's that. I don't want to let the fans down and I would go out there and this was when they said I was hurt. You know, I had broken my neck, I had broken my back. And then I would just kind of like either a promo, I would get jumped by Rhino and somebody and then Raven would come make the save or other wrestlers would come make the save for me. But just walking down that aisle or that rampway, there was times like every step hurt. Uh, that's been a lot of my, you know, my career. I mean, when I broke my heel, I shattered every bone in my heel. The very next week I had to wrestle Rob Van Dam on pay-per-view and there was no way I was going to miss it. And I had the infamous walking boot that I later 
gave to you. And, and I've said this on the air for, for you, for Barely Legal, what it meant to you. We, we sawed off your cast so you could work Barely Legal. And I remember our doctor who actually was uh, going to school as a podiatrist, like, I don't recommend this. And we're like, ah, shut up. And now you walk with your foot a little bit to the right, but it's the things that we do because we love it. And it's that letting, we don't want to let the fans down. I have, I, I mean, I've had a lot of those moments getting food poisoning as much as, you know, we all know that lays you up and it's coming out your mouth. It's coming out your butt. And, but then you somehow just go out there and you do it. Talking about <clears throat> Undertaker for a second, and you, you mentioned that you know he was a leader. Uh, I always called him boss, and um, you know Andre was always the boss of the locker room. And then when Andre was gone, I think that Taker just you know kind of turned into the boss of the locker room. How exactly do you get the nickname boss in a locker room? You don't just you don't just stake your your flag in the sand and say I'm the locker room leader. I'm the boss. In, in pro wrestling is there any checklist of how you become that boss or their locker room leader? How do you evolve into that position? I think it's one having the respect of the peers and the respect of the office. And when I say the office, it's you're that balance that can go between the two and you're not doing it to stab other wrestlers in the back um, for your own success. You reach that level of confidence in your own ability and confidence to being able to draw. Because I know this may sound uh, shocking, but there are some wrestlers that are very insecure. But when you have that position, everybody can see it. You're a top guy for a long time and people come to you and you try to help them. I know for me, it was SummerSlam Los Angeles. I was just, I was down and I was down and, and I went to him and I was like, man, I don't know what to do. And he was like, man, you're Tommy Dreamer. You need to go and show that to them. And he's just like, you know, and, and told me how to go talk to Vince. And he wasn't, I've also seen him and say to people, I don't recommend that. And he just did things like that, almost like a player coach, which is invaluable. And if there was people who messed up in a locker room, he would make sure you didn't mess up again because those are, and it's dude, it's like that in every sport uh, where you have the guy who's been there the longest and he also earned that. And I think he also got that where when we're talking about, you know, those times, he could have probably left and went to WCW, but he stayed and did all the tours and wrestled when WCW was kicking WWE's ass and he was out there and he went from, you know, part of that whole um, attitude era, but he was there also during the bad times and stuck by the company and stuck by what he believed in. So it was, it's that relationship that earns you that, top spot it's amongst the boys and the locker room because there's other guys who they'll be um in the history through wrestling they'll be like on top but a lot of the boys don't have that same respect because they're like oh well he's a backstabber he's a son of a bitch blah 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 but he taker didn't get that uh i like what shed how it's amongst the boys you know, the office has so much control over so many things in pro wrestling. But when it comes to the locker room, there's, there's a term, you know, the, the boys will always police the boys. And our locker room leaders <clears throat> will always be left up to us. And 
the office has a dedicated talent relations liaison who doesn't really relate to talent very well most of the time. Most of the time, the head of talent relations takes the side of the office. But Taker was like our liaison to talent relations. It's almost like the head of a union without having the union. And that's how I always looked at locker room figureheads, or in this case, The Undertaker. Hey, everyone. This is Lisa Ann, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences, past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on Sirius XM. Each week, I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app and Apple Podcasts. Ahmed in Canada. Ahmed, what is your favorite Undertaker match of all time? Hey, guys. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. Good morning, Ahmed. Perfect. Morning, guys. Can't believe I'm talking to you guys right now. Holy crap. This is unreal. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, so, Undertaker has a lot of amazing matches. I've been watching him since I was a child. Very hard question, but I'm going to have to say the streak versus career with Shawn Michaels. That right there, that WrestleMania moment when that was the main event, you knew something was up. And then the both when they had those bone-chilling entrances, you knew something was up. <laughs> that match was unbelievable. Long, worth it, worth staying up on a work night that night. Because in Canada, it um, you know the time difference comes real late. Anyways, that was an emotional match, right there. Ahmed, Ahmed, is there yep. something about that match that really sticks out to you? You mentioned the entrances, you mentioned the yep. length of the match, but is there a moment yep. in time or that that you can remember that you knew you were witnessing what, in your opinion, is the greatest Undertaker match of all time? I'm going to say that one was the greatest of all time, yeah. I understand that, that, but during the match, during the match, you remember a point during the match when you started to think that? Oh, yeah, the the one where my my favorite moment of that match was in the ending where Shawn Michaels slapped him in the face, and then when Taker just looked at him and just said, screw it, your career is done, right then and there, gave him the most unreal tombstone, that he never gave anybody else. And then when he pinned him the one, two, three, it just seemed like he didn't give a shit about his, uh, his career, even though gotcha. it was emotional, but that look, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you remember that when he slapped him and just yep. looked at him and just said, boy, you fucked up. You're not coming back to WWE. You're done. <laughs> Thanks. Ahmed. We I appreciate the phone call, man. Thank you very much. Tommy, I think um, as we talked to a lot of callers this morning and we're asking about favorite matches, I have a funny feeling one of the two Taker versus Shawn Michaels matches are going to come up because they they knocked it out of the park back to back. Uh, Either one of those matches ring more true with you. Is there one that you liked better than the other? No, man, I liked them. I'm hardcore. I like them both. I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about it, and I know we discussed it a lot of times, but, you know, I'm a fan, and I'll always be a fan. And there was moments where I was just like, I had pretty much a, a really close seat to all this action 
uh, with, with seeing these great moments in WWE, especially with The Undertaker, because I like to see how he can manipulate a crowd. I like that whole presence, the awe of The Undertaker. And, and you know, when, when you're running a wrestling school, we also like to talk to about the students about moments and what to watch. For me, um, San Antonio, when we're going into the Royal Rumble, and I'm in this Royal Rumble, I remember I get eliminated, but I literally run to the other side of the arena, and running has never been my forte because I knew of when it's going to get down to The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. And when we talk about moves don't mean a lot, and it's not being an old-timer, or it's just tried to get the most value for your um, buck or capturing the moment. You go back and watch that San Antonio Royal Rumble and Shawn Michaels is, they're both knocked out and the building is at its highest peak at noise level. And two guys are literally in the ring doing nothing. And that's psychology and that's the buildup. And when Shawn Michaels nipped up, and Undertaker sat up, the roof exploded. And they had just seen the Royal Rumble, and they had just seen all these surprises and so many great moments, but this was going to be the special moment. And man, going into it, I have goosebumps talking about, but these are all the the moments that I got to sit back, and it's just so appreciative to be a part of that. But as a wrestling fan, just go back and watch it. And if you enjoy the WWE if you just enjoy wrestling because you're watching some of the best. And, you know, for me, uh, I, I wrestled the undertaker. I, I drank the undertaker's tobacco, which I think between that and pulling Q's pants down on impractical jokers, everything I've done in wrestling, that'll be remembered for the most. But even in a segment like that, where I legit almost made him throw up and even in the back, he's like, Oh, what's wrong with you? But like those moments, and then he could go out in there and perform it. And just, I was like, he's the only guy I ever tapped out to. He was the first guy I ever tapped out to. Why? Because he was the undertaker. And I just was like, you are the man. And how I can, Tommy Dreamer's never tapped out to anyone. And I want you to be the first. And even though I wasn't a top guy in the WWE, but I made sure I told Jim Ross that. And Jim Ross made that a special moment for me and that match. And everything he did was special. You know, you're talking about Taker was the first guy that you tapped out to and you had never tapped out before, but you were more than willing to do it for him because it's The Undertaker. And if you're going to tap for the first time, you might as well make it special and give it to somebody who's deserving of it. Uh, reminds me of the night of the, 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 the Great American Bash when the WWE brought back the Great American Bash. This is definitely not my favorite Undertaker match. This is my least favorite Undertaker match. It's an abysmal Undertaker match. It's a god-awful Undertaker match. And the Undertaker was in the ring with the Dudleys. And it was the worst main event of a pay-per-view of all time because this is when we had to bury Paul Bearer in the concrete crypt. And it was just such a cluster F and nobody wanted to be there. But I do remember me and Devon saying to, D- saying to Taker, listen, we've been saving this for a while. If you want to kick out of the 3D, you know, we'd be more than happy, you know, to do that business with you. And he was like, no. 
He's like, this is not the time or the place for it. It hasn't been built the right way. You guys have saved it for so long. I would prefer that you saved it. So you wanting to do that by tapping out for him, us wanting to have him kick out of our finish, him being a astute businessman and not being selfish, knowing that it's the wrong place and the wrong time. These are the little things that I will always remember that uh, that made him the boss, that made him special, that made him that locker room leader. Because you know how most people are, Tommy. If you offer up something like that, they're just going to take it because they're going to be selfish about it. I'm sure me and you have run across plenty of people in this industry who are entirely too selfish. Yeah, and also for that spot or – for you in particular, like kicking out of 3D and that situation, he could have just been like, sure, to make it a footnote in his career, would have, it means everything to you. But for him to say, no, I you know, don't want to do that. It's not right for business. That's why he gets it 100%. I, again, so, I wrestled so many shows that he main evented. And when you're, you know, you're on a tour with him, it's overseas. He's usually the one of the first guys who'd be on the bus and he'd position himself in the back and he'd be the last guy to get off the bus. And then when you're in those shows, no one would ever, if he's the last match, no one would be like, hurry up, get, get on the bus. No one would ever be pissed off because Undertaker made you, you sit on the bus because he was in the last match. Everyone was just like, cool, Taker's on the bus. Let's roll to the next town. We're going to sit on the bus and do whatever. And, you know, if you were drinking uh, nobody was like oh taker's gonna stooge you off or it, it's totally it, he's a once in a in a generation character but he's also once in a generation leader and you know i was i've been a locker room leader uh kind of have a similar role in like a player coach in impact wrestling right now but and it's lessons that i've learned like watching him it's just like okay well here's the office's side and here's your side. So let's try to hash things out. That's how you have to be. And speaking of the bus, more specifically the tour bus, if you are an up and coming wrestler listening to this show right now, take it from me and Tommy. There's one thing that you never, ever, ever want to do. Not don't take a deuce on the bus, but <laughs> never be late for the bus. Yep. Nothing will piss fellow wrestlers off more than being late for the bus because nobody wants to roll out of bed as early as that bus leaves and everybody's nursing a hangover so don't be late for the bus have you ever been real quick have you ever been on the bus when somebody was late for it oh yeah and then uh stuff either got uh missing there was ribbed or then they got called to, to court and had to do things to make good for it and normally you just bribe a judge and then you're good Hey, everybody, this is Fran Freshella, host of the podcast World of Basketball. The game of basketball has truly become a global game. Markovic buys it in to Mickey, and somehow it goes in. Each week, I talk with the players, coaches, and executives who have led the way in growing the game of basketball around the world. Real Madrid have stolen victory from the jaws of defeat. Episodes are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. Let's go to Marcus in Omaha. Marcus, what is your favorite Undertaker match of all time? Bully, like most people, I think I'm going to go with WrestleMania 25, HBK versus Taker. 
earlier this morning you had a guy named Ahmed from Canada that called and he mentioned the great entrances from WrestleMania 26. Uh, not to hate on him, but he's mistaken. The entrances that he was talking about were actually from WrestleMania 25. Sean comes oh. from the sky. Undertaker comes from the ground. Uh, if you look back at 26, Taker had a great entrance, but Sean had his regular routine entrance where he just comes down the ring, you know, comes spinning, and then he hits hits the knees and the pyro goes off. It was 25 were the big uh, entrances that really captivated people, and it's because of those entrances that you knew that you were watching something that was main event level. That kind of just that so that encapsulated me. That got me hooked right there. Then as you're watching the matches, and we know, and you know more than anybody, I'm just a fan, you, you're, you're, you're an expert, um, the, 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 you know, false finishes, the near two counts and all that, it's been done in just about every match. But in that particular match, because of the way they told the story and because a lot of the moments were so, bam, like right there, like it was a reversal front into a finisher, it was a reversal into a big move or something of that nature, that's what had you like, one, two, oh, crap, I thought he had him. I thought the streak was over. That one felt different than what you would see on a Raw or on an AEW uh, All Elite show because every two count was significant in its own right. And then they both just laid there with shocked looks on their faces and just let the moment sit and let the crowd just go. So you're sitting there like, oh, my God, what am I watching right now? What's it going to take for one of them to win? So, for me, that was the number one match. Uh, I would say a close second, it would be the Triple H match from 27 where Taker got stretchered out. Marcus, great phone call. Thank, thanks uh, for setting us straight from the earlier caller. Um, appreciate you, buddy. Tommy, Marcus was talking about the false finishes in the Undertaker uh, 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 Shawn Michaels match. Can you explain to us, can you explain to the nation why false finishes in a match with those guys mean more than false finishes in a match with others? Because of how many times, one, they've beaten opponents with a choke slam, a tombstone, or the super kick, the sweet chin music, and how they went into it. You're talking to about two guys who are, you know, I mean, Shawn Michaels, one of the best in-ring performers of all time. Undertaker, one of the best in-ring performers of all time. And the timing of it. And then, like we were saying before, their facials when they kick out of it. It's like, what the hell does it take to beat this person? Or what does it take to end this person's career? Those are the simple nuances. Like when you were discussing it, or it's not even also for people just starting out in wrestling it's people who are in wrestling or it's people who are hey how come i'm mid card and i want to be a main eventer or i want to excel or for you when you're talking about eric bischoff okay it's a big i don't want to say it's a crutch but when you're a tag team wrestler then you have to become a singles wrestler and then okay but i want to become a single star so there's all these different little nuances that you learn and you could watch those matches and just like damn they had the people and you don't know what when the match is going to end, and then the people get totally lost, and we could do that in an arena or a stadium full of people where they're just lost in the excitement of the battle of who is going to win or lose, then you know you got them because, yes, wrestling is predetermined, but when you 
for that moment, get lost in that. And you're like, wow, I want to see a winner. They've totally done their job. Um, also listening to there's a lot of things we could, we could be talking about, but I was just thinking about, could you imagine? And this it's weird because of the world that we live in. But if the undertaker was starting today and like, you're like, so what's your gimmick? He's like, well, um, you're going to hit me with all your stuff and I'm just going to kind of register it. And then when you hit me with your finish, I'm going to get knocked down and I'm going to sit up. I'm going to no sell it. And then I'm going to beat you (laughs) or I'm going to smother you. And it's just like a gimmick like that. If you think about it in its nature, it's like, are you kidding me? And then it could be like, oh yeah, by the way, and I'm dead. But I don't think something like that, and that's why he was so special, could ever get over today or would ever be an Undertaker-esque quality just because of social media and all that stuff. But if you really dissect the, the, the character, you'd be like, dude, you're out of your mind. Like, this wouldn't happen. But in the 90s, yeah, like, hey, I'm going to be a garbage man. I'm going to be this. But Undertaker was just a different character. But if you just really thought about like the whole thing of what he did, you know, even the sit up, it's just like, so I'm going to hit you at my finish. You're just going to lay there dead. And then eventually you're going to sit up. It's like, what? It wouldn't, it wouldn't work in today's world, but you know what? It worked for so many years. Do you think the idea or the gimmick of the undertaker, if pitched today would get shot down? Do you think it would be be considered entirely too gimmicky? You're looking at, I love The Fiend. And you look at the, how much people were going crazy about like, you know, the uh, the Alexa Bliss, Randy Orton match. When I, I watched it and I was like, this is amazing. Or the dimming of the lights. You know, Bray Wyatt so far is really that only character to take it to that next level. And all the different ways that he's changed his appearance and look. But man, it would be, it would be super duper hard to get something like that over just because I want to say fans are more skeptical when, because they don't want to believe, but yet they'll still put down money. If uh, I I'm myself was excited for Halloween to come out or if another Friday the 13th come out or another nightmare on Elm street to come out, we would still put down our money to go see those uh, movies in the movie theater. So it's just, it's just so weird. But if you think it's, it's those lost, lost things. And and it kind of goes to, uh, which I would love. And I think you guys should definitely talk about it tomorrow. Like the whole thing with the Peacock network and pulling stuff off of the network for different reasons that may not be politically correct is one thing, or just that, that the network deems not suitable for today's audience, even though it happened, because then you're erasing parts of history Um, There are some things that should go away, but then there's other things that could be just like, all right, well, then you're never going to make everybody happy. By the way, ECW won't be on the Peacock Network because nothing we did was politically correct. Is that legit? Is that legit? No ECW on Peacock? Peacock! No. I I made that up, but uh, Mike Johnson, as reporting as he always does, has said they're basically pulling material. Uh, older material that for shows that have been added to the Peacock streaming service. 
um, just because of the times like WrestleMania six, Roddy Piper, um, bad news Brown. Um, when, when Roddy Piper, uh, painted half his body black and stuff like that. But they said anything that's going to be deemed too sensitive will be removed. And that's why I said, like, there's going to be a lot of ECW probably taken off the network, which I, listen, you can't, I don't, I agree with taking stuff down, but if you're going to start saying language and all that stuff, then you're going to get lost. I, I get the lostness of the music, but there's other stuff that I don't know. It, it's, it's a weird call. I, I'd love to you guys to break it down more hear from the nation about editing stuff that happened for different reasons. It's a lot of stuff going on in the world of pro wrestling right now. Pretty crazy. Um, I, I probably share your sentiments when it comes to not including things on the new network, things that people might be too sensitive to, uh, um, or just because everybody always says, well, it's a different time. We're, We're living in a different world. Okay, if we're living in a different time and a different world, maybe we don't make those quote-unquote mistakes, but to erase those things that happened, I don't know if I agree with that at all. Um, back out to the nation. Let's see who we got over here. Let's get to somebody, that I've, a name I've never seen before. How about Sean out in New Orleans? Sean, what is your favorite Undertaker match of all time? Good morning, Bully. Good morning, Tommy. Good morning. Good morning, buddy. Long-time fans, watch you guys at the Hilario Center in New Orleans. Oh. What did, what did me and Tommy do at the Hilario Center? Remind us. Tommy actually came out. I believe he was hurt at the time. But he came out and helped New Jack in just a free-for-all through the stands. And you yeah, and Bart right. had a tag match. Me and Bubba? Hilario Center, to talk about how old I am, the Hilario Center, I think we were like the first event that the Hilario Center did uh, back in the day when it was a brand new new place. I also remember the time when it rained so heavy and there was water flooding in from the swamp and we were seeing gators like walking around like, dude, if an alligator comes in this locker room, we have to kill it. (laughs) But since I do work in a cemetery and it's the Undertaker's birthday, uh, my favorite match will still be the Highway to Hell at Madison Square Garden in '98 with, with Steve and the Undertaker. And 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 why would why would that be? I still have the still in my head to this day of that leg drop bump through the announce table and the still they've always made of it with the height and the hair flying. It just looked unreal. And it, and if you're talking about a still, you're talking about a moment in time. And it's crazy because we always talk about wrestling is about the moments that we create, not necessarily the matches. And that's the specific moment that you remember from the match, right? Yes, sir. Pretty cool. Hey, man, thanks for the call. We appreciate you listening. Thanks for supporting us when we were in ECW and coming out to see us. Tommy. Is there a moment that you had with The Undertaker that will stand out to you? Yes. Uh, I would also like to say an un, a match that a lot of people won't appreciate unless you go back and watch it on the Peacock Network. 
Jeff Hardy versus The Undertaker in a ladder match was off the charts when it comes to ladder matches. And again, it was a different style for The Undertaker. And when you are an amazing in-ring performer, you adapt to all styles. Uh, For me, it was me, and uh, I've said this before, and I loved it. And we were wrestling in Spain in a bullfighting arena, and it was like you were in a pit. And we wrestled. The locker room was where, like, the bulls were, and it smelled like bullshit. And me and Taker are just talking, and we're, we're just talking about something. And he was all dressed and then like, he's like, all right, I got to, you know, kind of like you said, like, people can't appreciate it till they, they ever saw it, but there's like a quiet before the storm when you're a performer, when it's like the light goes on and we had this like pit and the gongs hit and I just went off to the side, but there was all this purple light coming in and the fog was coming in underneath where the taker was. And I literally watched him put on his hat and I was literally having a conversation with him. And then I watched him become the undertaker and the purple smoke was bellowing in this galley and the music was playing and there was like a rumble. And I was like, Whoa, it was, it was, I only, I'm, it was an audience of one and he wasn't, he didn't know I was watching him and he just went into this zone. And when he opened up the curtain, you could hear the roar of the crowd and you saw this light shine upon this figure, a godlike figure. And he walked through and all like how the smoke followed him out into the arena. And it was just this moment that I captured and I was like, holy crap. Like it would be like you saw an actor become Michael Myers, or I just saw him transform into this character that was I've watched as a kid and I was just like, holy crap, amazing, amazing things that you'd only get to see behind the scenes, but just how this, as the smoke was filling and he was just like getting into that zone. And, but then when he opened up and that light shined on him and it's sold out, you know, 20, 30,000 people in a bullfighting arena and just how that light shined on him. It was, it was, I've only other saw that the other times with dusty roads when my, and I knew I knew what I had to become in my life was when the first time I saw Dusty, but it was another time of those moments. It was like, whoa, that is amazing. Hello, everyone. This is Bruce Murray. You may know me as host of the Sirius XM Blitz on Sirius XM NFL Radio. Here now to introduce you to my new podcast, Going Long. Every week, I'll talk to big names, both in and out of the world of sports, Hall of Famers, actors, actresses, comedians, broadcasters, maybe even some chefs. We'll discuss their lives, their successes, their failures, and of course, the one thing that connects all of them, a passion for sports. So join me every Thursday on the Sirius XM app, Pandora, Stitcher, and Apple Podcast for Going Long. I'll share you a, share a couple with my of mine. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work with Taker probably for two to two and a half years. Uh, me and Devon versus Taker and Kane. Um, fortunate enough to work for the WWE Tag Team Championships against those guys, and learn a lot from those guys. Um, one of the nights we were in the ring, Tommy. It's a small story that took place on a, on a live event, on a house show. But Undertaker does not like to be chopped. He hates it. He'll deal with it, but he hates it. 
And I knew that he did not like to be chopped. And one of the things that I like to do in the ring is chop guys, not chop just for the sake of chopping, but actually have my chops mean something. Well, I remember one night I locked up with Taker and I think I, you know, bull rushed him into the corner. I gave him a couple of shoulder tackles to the midsection. I wore him down a little bit and then I took his right arm and I draped it over the top rope. I took his left arm and I draped it over the other rope and then... I don't know why I did this, but I rifled off a shot, whap, and I chopped him. And after I chopped him, I kept my head down, straight down, because in that moment in time, I realized, boy, you done effed up. And everything stopped for a second. There was no sight no sound, no nothing. Is that like time should stood still? And all I heard coming from Undertaker's corner <laughs> was his brother Kane, all six foot six, 350 pounds of him. I see him jumping up and down in the corner like a fat kid in a candy store, and he's going, oh, he's going to kill you. Oh, he's going to kill you. <laughs> and here's, I'm, I'm looking at Kane, but I'm listening to Glenn Jacobs basking in the, the, the glory of the fact that I was about to get killed and i remember just looking up slowly and making eye contact with taker and the black mascara that he used to wear under his eyes i just vividly remember that and he just goes watch the reversal and the big boot so he wanted me to whip him to the turnbuckle and i knew i was going to eat a stiff boot right in the face i shoot him into the buckle he reverses me and i just remember running in full speed at his big boot and i screamed out here comes my receipt and i <laughs> ran as hard as i could into the boot this way he felt that he had gotten me back good enough for chopping him so that's my undertaker chop story <laughs> hey i'll give you i'll give you two um and, and to talk about being a leader uh the royal rumble uh madison square garden to me is one of the greatest rumble royals of all time and it was one of my favorite moments of of my career and here i go i hit the ring place pops and i'm in the ring with undertaker sean michaels uh john morrison a few other people and people are chanting my name and, and to have people chant your name in Madison Square Garden, an arena that I've been to so many times as a kid, was surreal. And me and Taker go at it, and he puts up his boot. And I just heard the people, and I'm like, uh-uh. And I start throwing punches at him, and he just literally turns to me and goes, get it. And because he felt that energy. And even though I pretty much no sold his boot for half a second, he felt that it was right for business. And right at that time, and this is where we say, listen to the crowd and listen to the people. And he gave me such an amazing moment for me to share with one of the biggest stars in wrestling. And that unselfishness in the ring is why we all hold him so near and dear. Another one, and I've never told you this story, Bubba was a WrestleMania 
And, you know, they have the big party afterwards and it's a lot of like, you know, schmoozing and all that stuff. And then we go to a side room. I want to say this was Texas. And Taker calls me. We go in this side room and it's me, Taker, Cena, Fit, Jericho. And they're all having like high priced alcohol. You know, I don't drink and they're smoking uh, high priced cigars. And it's all this. No, there was no like no one was really allowed in this room and it was all just like off to the side and all my friends and people I respect in the business. And they're all just watching WrestleMania back privately. It was an awesome moment. And (laughs) during this moment, the door slowly creeps open and it's one of those like, who the hell's interrupting this? And he pops his head in and you hear, well, what's going on in here? It was Terry Funk. (laughs) And he's like, well, look at this. Well, look at this. And they're like, Terry, come on in. And now it just starts like sitting under that tree with uh, Fit, Undertaker, Terry Funk. I'm just sitting there listening. Jericho, uh, Cena, everyone is just having this great time. So after, I mean, it's this is after WrestleMania. We're talking this late at night. I, I guys, I'm going to, you know, cut out. I'm going to bed. The next morning I wake up to go to the gym. When I come downstairs that I go by, past this door, I go and look and I open the door. The last man standing still, it's eight in the morning, is Terry Funk. <laughs> He's still oh, in Tommy, there. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. <laughs> he out drank the entire crew and just decided, I don't know if he slept in there, but he was still in there. He's like, what are you doing? I better go to bed soon. I'm an old man. <laughs> I was like, I went to bed and now I'm going to do cardio. It's like nine o'clock in the morning. He's like, Jesus, I got to do stuff. <laughs> I am so not shocked to hear that Terry was the uh, last <laughs> man standing. Um, one quick uh, last story from me. And the only reason we're going in that, I, I know the nation loves it when we, me and you, tell stories or me and Mark tell stories because um, they don't get to hear it a lot. But one night in particular where I kind of felt like I, I learned a huge lesson, but also earned my stripes a little bit was with the undertaker. It was in Newark, New Jersey at the Prudential center or the IZOD, whatever it's called now. And that night was me and Devon versus taker and Kane. And I didn't like the way the finish was going to go down and I argued, discussed, debated all day with Undertaker about this finish. And it was a very respectful debate. Um, but I was sticking to my guns because I felt pretty strong about my idea. And I wasn't just laying down just because it was the Undertaker. So eventually we got to the point where we just couldn't come to an agreement and when you can't come to an agreement as you know tommy the correct thing to do is go talk to your agent or your producer because they're going to help you find middle ground or they're just going to make the decision for you or they're going to have vince make the decision for you a lot of guys in wrestling go to the agent or the producer 
without talking to their fellow wrestler first. That's where the politics come in. That's where the agenda comes in. That's where I'm going to try to get my shit in and then have the producer go back and tell the other guy. I wouldn't do that. And I, I've never done that. You know how I've been. I'm entirely too straight up with people at times. I went up to The Undertaker and I said, boss, I said, I disagree with you. And I'm going to go to Jerry Briscoe, who was our agent at the time. And I'm going to ask him his opinion. And Taker said, Bubba, you do whatever you feel you need to do. Well, I went to Jerry Briscoe and I said, Jerry, here's the deal, blah, blah, blah. And I laid out the scenarios to him. I didn't tell him my idea. I didn't tell him Taker's idea. I just presented the ideas to him. This way he couldn't be swayed. He looks at me and he said, Bubba, whatever the dead man wants to do is fine with me. And immediately the light bulb went off. Like, why am I dying on this hill? Why am I? It's like, he's the veteran. He's the boss. It's his locker room. Let me just do it his way. And Jerry didn't even have to hear a lot. His, his answer was whatever Undertaker wants to do. And that was it. I went back to Undertaker. I said, and he goes, did you talk to Jerry? I said, yep. And what did he say? He says, whatever you want to do. He says, okay, no problem. So here's what we're going to do. Blah, blah, blah. We went out there. We did business. And uh, the business went fine. End of the night comes along. Go to say goodnight. Go to say goodnight to him. He goes, come here. I want to talk to you. And, I, you know, I said, what's up, boss? And he goes, you earned your stripes with me tonight. Do you know why? I said, no, what's up? He goes, you told me to my face before you went and you spoke to the agent. You were honest and upfront about it. Most guys wouldn't do that. So the two lessons that I learned was, you know, it's probably always best to be upfront and honest with your fellow worker. And if you're working with The Undertaker, 9.99999% of the time, it's going to be whatever he wants to do as opposed to whatever you want to do. So I hope you guys liked that story. It was a big lesson for me in the wrestling business, and I enjoyed telling it. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to hit, uh, you got your breaking news there, Ed. So much of my story. There you go. Breaking Sorry. news. It has just been revealed that Kane will be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2021. Oh, boom. So look at wow. that. Look at the timing t timing of the story with Kane laughing in the corner, and now he's inducted. That's what probably happened. D Vince was listening. Damn it. Bubba's talking about Kane. Induct him into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and they actually uh, they had uh, The Undertaker surprise Kane on uh, Matt Camp's favorite show, The Bump. So they just announced it. Oh, they did that gimmick on The Bump? That must have been cool. Yeah, man. Very, very cool. Kane definitely deserves it. Uh, awesome guy, and I think he's going to run for mayor again. And he is somebody that I hate politics. I hate politics so much that I had a company that their slogan was no politics, no BS, just wrestling. But Kane was one of those people that actually made me listen because he actually cared about the town that he lived in and wanted to try to make a difference. Always appreciated speaking with him about politics in the real world. And here's something crazy, Tommy. And this is on me. This is not on Kane at all. One of the guys that I had the least amount of chemistry with in the ring was Kane. 
when it was me and him one-on-one in those tag matches it was a different story but if i had to have a one-on-one match with kane probably maybe i don't know three four five times that ever happened i felt like i didn't have chemistry i wasn't that good at working with guys that much bigger than me like i had a great chemistry with guys that were my size or small kane was so big and I just felt like I could not move him around or I could not do things to him that I felt worked. And I knew that was all on me, not on him. Did you ever have somebody like that, that you just, not that you have zero chemistry with, but you have less chemistry with them than anybody else? Uh, Yeah. But I mean, you remember there was a time where I was the guy that they put in the ring with all the up and coming talent to test to see if they're, decent and there were some people who were not decent and there were some people who you know hey this is my big break and opportunity and i had that role that al snow had stevie richards had like put these put them in the ring with guys who can wrestle to see if they can uh get something out of them and uh sometimes it was like being in real fights as tracy smothers would say like uh, he beat me to death so there's a lot of guys that, uh, and, and some made it, some didn't, majority didn't. But uh, yeah, I was in that situation a lot. You want to shoot, man? Shoot with me. Come on, man. Tracy is the best. Uh, it's rough when you don't have chemistry with people in the ring, but you, you know, you try to work. And it's even live events are different. But when, I mean, I had to go three segments with uh, Kozlov while I was, you know, Oof. Uh, and three segments is, is an eternity. Yeah, sometimes three days a week, I have to go three hours with LaGreca. Hey, everyone. This is Nicole Auerbach, and I want to invite you inside the Coaches Clubhouse, a brand new podcast from SiriusXM that examines what drives coaches on and off the sidelines. We talk to coaches from all different sports and all walks of life about their passion for the profession, their mentors, philosophies, and stories, and also what they care about when they're outside the spotlight. We'll give you a unique perspective on some of the greats in their profession, from Olympic coaches to Super Bowl champions and everyone in between. New episodes out every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcast. Sam out in Cleveland, my good buddy. How are you? And uh, what's your favorite Undertaker match? My brothers, how are you today? What's up, Sam? My favorite Undertaker match, it will be Kurt Angle versus The Undertaker No Way Out 2006. That match was so technically good, like... Okay, Angle working in the level of the Undertaker for 20 minutes, and at the end, the finishes, I, I, I love it. For me, that's my favorite Undertaker match. And because you like it because of the false finishes, Sam? No, I, I like it because of the technical, the whole technical that I was like. Angle, like you say, Bully all the time, he was working in the left for 20 minutes. And basically, at the end, when the Undertaker had him in the choke, and he did a flip, and Kerengo won the match. It was like, wow. I thought Kerengo was about to quit, and he didn't. And he won the match. So, for me, that's was my favorite match. Okay, great. Thanks for the call, Sam. And as always, thanks for listening, buddy. We appreciate you. Um, Kurt and Taker had some really um, great matches, Tommy. They had, a, they had an interesting chemistry. There, listen, there was a time, especially on SmackDown, where there were the MVPs, the go-to guys on SmackDown for a long time. 
Taker was one of them. So was Kurt. And as you know, you've wrestled Kurt. I have not. I've just, I always say I've done a lot of special teams uh, with Kurt where it's run down, get hit. That's being on special teams, hit or get hit. But you know, because a lot of wrestlers have talked about Kurt Angle brings his shit. And when you have that two top dog mix and you have those and Kurt Angle, uh, in impact, we would call him, uh, he was like the Terminator because they were, even though his body was breaking, he would still go on and put on these amazing performances where like, how the hell this guy could barely walk, but yet he goes out there and performs like the Terminator. You can't stop him. He was a cyborg. And him and Taker just had this amazing mix. And I mean, dude, I... I learned this from you just listening on this show. I knew it, but I never really realized I knew it. And that's a very Johnny Rods thing to say, but it's like the, the styles, the clash of styles makes for interesting matches. It always did and always will. When you put two, like you said, you didn't work well with big guys. When you put two big guys together or this classic like big guy matchup, they weren't always the best in rings. But when you have different guys and different styles, you're just like, whoa, look, how is this going to mix? And you have, you know, you could do your fantasy booking. But when you're when you're putting together a match or things you want to do, it's totally like, well, now I could do something like this with him. Uh, me just working with Rich Swan, I'm probably six inches taller than Rich and outweigh him by a Rich Swan. <laughs> and <laughs> it was such a different style of what I'm used to. But meanwhile, he's the champion and I'm trying to, to, to adapt to his style. He's trying to adapt to my style. He's so great at what he, cause he could adapt to anybody's style. People do not realize how great rich Swan is until you get in the ring with him and you could watch him. And I'm watching this guy. Uh, I've, I've tagged with him and could see him brawl, or I see the innovativeness of things that this guy can do, can do without missing a beat. And when you talk about, Kurt Angle and The Undertaker, you know, here's The Undertaker, who's really not known for his aerial game, uh, more of a striker, ground and pound, but then he's doing things with Kurt Angle that are totally out of his, you know, comfort zone. Or, I mean, think of him and stuff he did with Rey Mysterio. And Absolutely. everything he does is believable. And I am a very big believer in the styles make the match and I never like to see big man versus big man because I think it gets clunky. This speaks volumes to the job that Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre, and Sheamus are doing right now. Three big men, three burly men, uh, hard-hitting men, guys with the same styles. But these guys are coming together and putting on some really quality, quote unquote, big man matches. And that's why I think Vince loves these guys so much, because it's Vince's wheelhouse, big men who can work good matches, big men who can sell, register, big men that can believe, be believable. And Lord knows Sheamus is laying his shit in. So that, that's, go ahead. I just, I laugh that you say this because we always say we share the same fat brain. I watched Monday Night Raw, like I said, last night late because uh, filming a movie. And I said to myself, Seamus 
has stepped up to such an amazing level. And I, I was like, I wish he would actually move brands and go to SmackDown because I don't see a spot for him on Raw where he could be the guy on Raw. I mean, I'm sorry, on SmackDown because he's just so in the zone and it's not like he had this giant character switch. He, he's still, he's just stepped up and he's like a new fresh character where he's been there forever. He's started, I mean, he started in WWE ECW with me and he has just like intensified his workout, his, his but his in-rings are so good. And it's just so funny that you say that because, I mean, we're not on our format sheet. Nothing is just like, but we both appreciate how hard Seamus has done. And like, I will, I look at this and, and then I always look at it. Hey, I'm the booker. I have so many options like w- that you just said. I have Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre, and Seamus all on one show. Wherever you go with Edge and Roman Reigns, I would love to throw a Seamus in there and be like, hey, like Seamus is getting over old school in the sense of like Bret Hart. Bret Hart went out there from a tag wrestler to, and the same like Shawn Michaels, how they got over in their singles was through their hard work. It's that simple. It's it's amazing that you said that. I hate he's getting, yep, there you go. Sh- same fat brain. Uh, he's getting <laughs> over through work rate. Um, to me, Seamus has been the MVP of Monday Night Raw for the past six months. And the other MVP of Monday Night Raw has been MVP. Uh, I think both of those guys, since returning to, to, to Raw, have done a phenomenal job. I love the way MVP and Bobby Lashley look together. It feels so right. It feels as right as Heyman and Brock. And Heyman and Brock feels more right to me than Heyman and Roman. They Heyman and Roman have a different dynamic. Um, it, it's almost like that. I, I, I brought it up once uh, before. Ed, correct me if I'm wrong here. I might have the, the wrong name. Uh, who was Dracula's, uh, not his sidekick, Not was it Rehnquist? Um Renfield. 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 Yeah. Paul comes off like a Renfield to me at times. He didn't come off like that uh, to me with Brock. And that Heyman-Brock relationship is very much, in my eyes, seen through um, MVP and Bobby Lashley. Uh, Seamus uh, doing a great job, though. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.